Oh, hello. Didn't see you there. It's uh, Chappie, the British butler, and um, I like to clean brass. Love to clean tarnished brass. Uh, so from uh, brass candelabras to uh, cows and other agricultural brass, from big huge heifers down to little baby calves, the brass rubbing is somewhat therapeutic to a humble butler like myself. And uh, it's lovely to be here. I hope you're having a smashing Saturday. A spithingly smashing Saturday. Uh, it's, it's rather lovely here today. It's uh, here in Colorado. It, uh, it's spring-like. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's time to take more clothes off. Not that, not, I'm not going to, though, take off a wondrous pair of socks that I have. I, I feel very grounded at the moment. A, a, a delightfully comfortable pair of socks is is uh, is so wonderful and superb and comfortable and sort of decadent. Um, it, it's it's nice to you know keep the tootsies warm. Uh, I mean, throughout the summer, I, I often don't wear uh, I don't wear a sock um, or any socks. I just go around in the uh, in the boat shoes. Uh, without, without, without socks. I mean, don't your, don't your feet get so terribly smelly? And you know that's what foot powder is for. You know, rub the foot powder all over the uh, all over the uh, plates of meat, feet, and um, it does it does it does wonders. I mean, it's uh, it really does keep uh, keep all that moisture away. Um, hopefully, not making one's toenails harden or giving one cancer um but you know a bit of foot powder has never done anybody any harm but this time of year you know a, a good sock on a nice soft carpet is perfect perfect uh, preparation for a podcast it's uh you know I, you know i have to get into the zone to to do these uh, to do these things you know it's it's is a performance that i need to um you know try to Try to meditate maybe before the podcast, and then, uh, and then, and then you know get my uh, get my sort of alter ego going, which is uh, uh, Gregarious Butler. That, that's my what I like to be known in terms of my alter ego. But here we are. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese is the name of the game, and uh, I'm your host. I'll be here for about an hour or so, just under maybe, and um, we're going to have a lot of fun today. So much fun. So, 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 so much fun. I mean, some of the things that we'll be talking about today. I had a dream about a femme fatale ladybug or ladybird in the UK. Um, that's one of the things. Also, I feel very manly. I'm going to tell you why. Didn't tell you yesterday. I'm going to tell you why. But then, uh, in direct uh, contrast to that, I was singing in the shower. And I'll reveal what I was singing in the shower to you, the dear listener, a little bit later on. Um, also, um, I, I, you know, I, I feel like I've uh, training to be a contortionist as well. And, uh, you know, I, I will enlighten you on that fact as well. Why, why do I see myself as a contortionist? Um, how, to, how old men should cut their nails, their toenails their fingernails uh, you know if they can't bend and, uh, and 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 shake and do any of that good stuff anymore i mean it's very uh, it's very important to uh, to
to be able to crouch down, but sometimes you can't. So how does one, when you get into that situation, cut the toenails? Um, I think my, my, my father is growing you know, a lot of hair at the moment, a lot of hair. But I do have a fear. I do have a fear what may happen on the, on the hair side. Um, we may go and see Percy Grower in his allotment. Uh, that could happen today as well. Um, also, um, also men over 30 um, doing a certain hobby, which, uh, which sort of uh, irritated me today. We never talked about Dick Golf, this golf yesterday either. It's a big interview, obviously, the huge interview this, uh, this weekend. Um, that's going to be uh, absolutely fascinating. Watch Squidge Between My Toes. Uh, you know, why do the Americans hate pickles, especially the brown pickle? Um, <laughs> some of these subjects have been running on for a long time here, so I feel we have to knock them out of the park today, or I may have to, uh, may have to sort of uh, dig a giant hole and either bury them or maybe put them into a time capsule and send them into space. That could be an option too. And uh, female cartoon characters in Iran must have the hijab, um, Cambridge farmers dismayed by plan to cut support for roaming cows succeed at work by skipping the snooze button um, Hollywood made my breast look bigger to promote a film I didn't actually say that uh, Rosamund Pike did um, but yeah no I haven't been in Hollywood and haven't had to have any sort of augmentation or breast enlargement to, to get into Hollywood mimic tricks the birds by offering sex or death DNA may tell if Richard III was a good king or a bad thing uh, we're going to have um, another little session of Trump or Trombone. Uh, we have a historical Tinder, and we have some more uh, enigmatic English eccentric habits coming along the way today on your esteemed and glorious podcast. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. As I said, we have the big interview coming up this weekend, the, the huge, ginormous interview. And it's actually the uh, the Queen's new corgis are being interviewed. Um, and Queen Elizabeth unexpectedly gets two new corgis to keep a company at Windsor Castle. It was thought that the monarch uh, 94 didn't want to get any new dogs. The Queen has two new corgi pups, bringing her much-needed quarantine companionship as Prince Philip is in hospital and the royal family braces itself for the huge interview, which is, you know, the two new yappy corgis are being interviewed by Oprah this weekend. Um, and uh, Meghan Harry as well. The dogs are welcome and a lively addition for the Queen as she strolls through the grounds of Windsor Castle where she's been living alongside a small, tight-knit number of staffers during the coronavirus pandemic. The Queen has owned corgis and doggies. I never knew what a doggie is, but it's a cross between a corgi and a dachshund uh, all of her adult life. Uh, and her last one, Candy, um, following the death of another dog, Vulcan, uh, late last year. I wonder if Vulcan had Dr. or Mr. Spock's ears, like the pointy ears. It was uh, thought that she didn't want to have any more dogs, in part because it risked uh, tripping over one of the pets, and also because she didn't want to leave any young dogs behind. I mean, corgis do get under your feet. They're very long and very low to the ground. News of the new pets first reported in the sun on Friday came as Philip recovers from his heart operation at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. Um, but the Queen is well known for her love of corgis, but her last dog of the particular breed, Whisper, died in 2018. She inherited Whisper in 2016 from Bill Fenwick, a former gamekeeper at Sandringham House. 
One of her most famous dogs, Monty, starred in the short film that played during the opening ceremony when the monarch joined James Bond star Daniel Craig for a memorable sketch. So she's got some new corgis, and I think that's absolutely fantastic because they're great company, they're incredibly feisty, and um, they don't listen, and um, they can nip at the heels. I mean, much much of what the courtiers have been saying about Meghan and Harry over the last uh, few days. So felt very manly yesterday incredibly manly so I, I went into the toolbox now it, it's not my toolbox of fingernail files and um, little tools to pull off my cuticles no not that no 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 it was um it was the actual toolbox um because i had to fix uh, one of the pieces of the act tracks yesterday and i and i and i knew i actually knew what implement to use the pliers um, but, uh, you know, but it was a case of, um, it, you know, it was a sort of case of, uh, instead of Shakademus and pliers, it was shitstorm and pliers because I went in, tried to open the, um, toolbox. And as I did, I stepped on my five iron, the head of the five iron, uh, that, uh, made the five iron jump right up and smash right into my crotch. I mean, some may say I deserve it. Some may say, you know, it's a good thing to wake one, one up in the morning. Um, but I have to say, uh, after recovering from that, I, I grabbed the pliers and, uh, you know, tried to put them to good use. But I f- almost feel, I don't know if you ever uh, handled an implement where it's almost like you're using somebody else's hands. Um, you know, that that's how it felt to me. I mean, if I had um, uh, Joan Collins' hands, it would probably be more useful to me using the pliers than my own dainty fingers. Um, because, you know, I got the job done and I, and I have, you know, I do have my man up card. I have, I have a little, little, a little, you know, maybe a tick against my man up card. Um, so that's, that's good stuff. So, you know, I, I do need to, I do know how to, uh, use pliers, you know, fairly efficiently and, uh, felt a little bit more masculine. Uh, but then I, you know, went in my, made myself a nice fragrant cup of Earl Grey and uh, and uh, ate a cream scone after that. So, you know, it's all balance, really. It's all about some balance. And scientists cloned ferret in attempt to reverse ex- uh, extinction. Scientists hoping to restore extinct creatures have long spoken of cloning spectacular species, bringing the passenger pigeons that once cloaked the skies of North America or reviving the woolly mammoth from the remains found in the Siberian ice. Instead, it fell uh, to a ferret to show the world what was possible. Created from the cells of a black-footed ferret that died without breeding 33 years ago named Elizabeth Ann, she is the first endangered native species of North America to be successfully cloned. This feels like the first people are really getting used to it, said Ben Novak, lead scientist uh, and in Revive and Restore a Conservation Organization involved in the seven-year project to bring about Elizabeth Ann. Uh, talk of reviving the species had been so theoretical, he said. The black-footed ferret we knew from the start could be one of those early wins. Black-footed ferrets eat prairie dogs, rodents, and live in large burrow systems in the North American grasslands. As ranchers poison colonies of rodents to make the land suitable for cattle, the ferrets steadily dwindled. By 1981, they presumed extinct. But that year, a ranch dog brought a dead one back to a homestead in Wyoming, and scientists then rounded up the last 18 ferrets. Only seven were bred, creating a population with limited genetic diversity that was also vulnerable to disease. In, 80, in 1988, a, a geneticist at San Diego Zoo in California, which maintains a bank of frozen cell samples from th- thousands of creatures, received the cells of the black-footed ferret named Willa, who was caught in the wild but died uh, 
died without successfully reproducing. The project began in 2013. A company called Viagem, which clones cats and dogs, used cells from Wheeler and implanted an embryo in a domestic ferret, which gave birth to Elizabeth Ann on December the 10th at the National Blackfooted Ferret Conservation in Colorado. Novak visited on New Year's Eve and held her. He marveled how perfect and beautiful she was. There aren't words to describe how overwhelming it is. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a, a ferret... Um, uh, scarper up a gamekeeper's uh, trouser leg and then seeing the uh, gamekeeper being uh, resorted to light duties for the rest of his career those those bloody things are vicious i mean it's uh, it, it, they they are the almost like a land shark without a doubt and uh, maybe more cunning and uh, and uh, with a with a huge appetite uh, for gamekeeper's crotches it seems so as I mentioned, I got a little uh, bro stamp on my Man Up card earlier by using the pliers. But I think I automatically gave it back whilst in the shower. Um, I had the radio on and Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman came on. And uh, I, I started singing, shoulder shimming, uh, and then the hips started moving. I was, you know, I was uh, pretty well soaked up at this point. So the soap was spreading around... Uh, the behemoth body, so to speak, and uh, I was I was really getting into it. I was hitting those falsetto notes, you know, squeezing the bottom cheeks together to reach the high notes, and I was singing into my Harry razor, not my um, Harry Styles razor, one of these Harry razors that you get. But I felt that my um, razor phone microphone wasn't big enough and wasn't glittery enough to be singing Shaka Khan's uh, "I'm Every Woman." Um, but I gave it a, I gave it a damn good shot, you know. And um, if ever you're in doubt, I think that you know that song can uh, can shake away the cobwebs in the morning. If the hot shower, if the power shower is not uh, not you know bristling away those cobwebs, then uh, then a good you know a good sort of sample of disco can uh, relieve uh, relieve any fogginess on, on the morning. I have to say, and uh, you know. I was every woman this morning, quite quite literally, singing in my soapy shower with a uh, with a with a razor pretend microphone, and again imagining a glitter ball was spinning over the top of me. So a wasp fossil reveals oldest cave painting in Australia. A kangaroo painted more than 17,000 years ago has been identified as the oldest piece of cave art in Australia. The uh, life-size image on the ceiling of a rock shelter in uh, Balaranga uh, County in Kimberley, uh, West Australia, now uh, techniques are used to reveal its place in the cave art canon, with the analysis shedding light on how the same naturalistic style remained in use for 4,000 years. The organic matter uh, needed uh, radiocarbon dating can be elusive in Aboriginal rock paintings, so researchers from Melbourne University turned into the cave walls and found that they uh, included the remnants of many thousands of fossilised mud wasp nests, which could be dated. The technique was used to uh, date images from several sites across the region to establish that pictures of animals such as snakes, lizards, wallabies and koalas were painted between 17,000 and 13,000 years ago. And the results were published in the Journal of uh, Na Nature uh, Human Behaviour by Damien Finch. The picture dates from a period where sea levels in the nearby Joseph Bonaparte Gulf began to rise. The artist began uh, behind the image 
uh, would have been part of the coastal Aboriginal population experiencing a continuous loss of territory over the millennia. So that's between 14,000 and 13,000 years ago, as proved by these ancient wasp nests. I mean, don't just don't let any of the uh, any of the Aussie cricket team uh, go in there with any uh, any sort of uh, any sort of sandpaper, uh, because they'll start scratching away these ancient paintings and there'll be uh, and there'll be no more so don't let those uh don't let those scallywags scallywags those galahs get anywhere near those uh, ancient cave paintings but it made me think also talking about ancient wasp's nests um now i'm having a terrible trouble with these lazy winter flies at the moment they seem to like stumble in uh through the window and uh you know trying a slipper trying to swap them you know they're they're pretty crafty and they and they move in a slovenly fashion but they do get out of the way so i thought i'd try a all-natural cinnamon fly spray now all i can say is that the fly spray is more of a uh, i mean it could be a rather refreshing deodorant uh, or or some sort of air freshener uh, for a, a stinky house that's about as good as it gets uh, either that, or these uh, flies are related somewhat to cockroaches and can survive nuclear explosions. They do. I think they love the smell of the cinnamon. I, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's Christmas in the uh, in the fly household when they smell this cinnamon because it perks them up. It gives them a. It gives them a huge new lease of life, and then those terrible buggers are very difficult to catch and difficult to uh, to kill at that point. So. As much as I, you know, want to save the environment for future generations, the uh, cinnamon fly spray really doesn't cut it. So, as I mentioned uh, yesterday, um, I've had a bit of a bit of a jippy old back, bit of jippy back, lad. Um, yeah, over the course of the last few days, and um, so Maggie's getting back on her feet again and going on long walks. So, walking the hounds this morning, George and her. And um, as always, she, she likes to go right in the middle of the road. So there I was, uh, you know, hot steaming cup of tea in hand, two dogs on the other arm, on the left hand, and then I had to, you know, I had to, I had to bend, I had to bend down, and I had to try to, um, you know, I had to try to figure out um, how I was going to pick up the remnants of the dog poop. Um, with my other hand and I had a hot cup of tea in my hand. So I decided to tuck the, the, you know, the steaming hot travel flask into the back pocket and into the right back pocket here. Now I had the most wondrous of all sensations as I bent down. I had a warm travel flask it was it was really um, it was really sort of uh, giving a you know warming feeling and a um, in a, in a, in a, in a quite a wonderful manner um, to the right buttock. It was uh, I mean the, the temperature of the right buttock rose considerably. Let me put it that way, but it was a rather rather wondrous feeling on a on a cold frosty morning to have that surprisingly right but it warmed whilst i uh, you know went about my work so to speak and uh, that that's exactly what happened but i mean it's almost like reverse jenga 
I'm almost tempted to get another travel flask and put it in the left buttock cheek so I could have universally warm buttock cheeks and um, as I bend down. But as in Jenga you pull the piece out, you're adding a flask to the other uh, jean pocket buttock cheek, so the left buttock cheek, to get that warming sensation all over. The, 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 problem, the problem being, though, is the <laughs> is one false move and you've got hot scolding PG tips down your ass crack. And that's the worry. So they say no pain, no gain. I'm enjoying the, uh, the sensation of the warm PG tips on the, uh, on the posterior. But at the same time, I could have um, burns that would require urgent care uh, hospital treatment. Um, and uh, maybe they would find, like, you know, a tea bag or something down my boxer shorts from where the travel flask tipped up. And I'm a little teabot, short and stout. Here's my handle, here's my spout. Uh, yes, I mean, basically, the spout would tip up and pour all the hot liquid down my ass crack. Uh, that could be the problem if I get a little bit greedy with the wonderful warmth of a duo of travel flasks on each buttock cheek. So, we have the huge interview this weekend. Will you be watching it? Will you have the popcorn going? I mean, I may make myself a, um, a cheese and pickle sandwich and, and possibly a sticky toffee pudding. I think a sticky toffee pudding would be, uh, would be rather delicious to have during the big interview. But the, uh, but the questions are this. I mean, will there be any sort of timeouts? I mean, they, 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 there's a discussion of this being bigger than the Super Bowl. So will there be timeouts and commercial breaks? I mean, the Oprah interview brought to you by Mr. Kipling's Fondant Fancies. They make exceedingly good cakes. I mean, could you also have, uh, could, you know, could you have extra currency spotted dicks advertising? Uh, for this uh, for this huge interview, I mean, it'd be, it'd be lovely to see a spotted dick and custard. The Harry and Meghan interview brought to you by Spotty Spotted, extra currency spotted dicks. And mean, also maybe Harry Houdini's uh, you know fancy dress. They could they, they could they could be sponsoring as well for the more discerning set. Our clothes can just make you disappear. We can even make leopards change their spots. So, as the Sussexes arrive, we will hear what they have to say. And they will answer the uh, sterling questions that Oprah's going to present. It's going to be, I mean, this, this is going to be huge, huge uh, historical type of interview. And um, it could... It could change things forever in terms of the, uh, in terms of um, you know what happens when Harry eventually goes home for tea. I mean, I don't, I, I honestly don't think he's going to have the the, the uh, corners and uh, edges of his sandwiches cut off. No crust will be cut off for Harry anymore after this uh, after this uh, next interview. But I'm sure it's going to be a glorious spiffing watch. So succeed at work by skipping the snooze button. So this article I read uh, in the Times, um, and I, I probably was reading it when I should have been asleep, 
Um, and it should have told me that I needed some urgent shut-eye. But people classed as night owls may be twice as likely to underperform at work and face an increased risk of early retirement due to the disability, researchers from Finland have warned. They suggest that people's chronotype should be taken into account when planning work schedules. A person's chronotype reflects when they're most alert during the day. I, I don't think that's any time of day. Maybe during my siesta in the afternoon, I like The study of more than 5,000 men and women classified participants as morning larks who do better thirsting owls who do better in the evening and an intermediate group with no strong preference. The paper published online in the Journal of Occupation Environmental Medicine found that owls were much more likely to report poor performance at work than their counterparts. Participants uh, aged 46 uh, and rated their own performance at work on a scale of uh, 0 to 10. While 28% of men and 24% of women classed as owls said they were underperforming at work, the figures were only 15% and 12% for larks, and 17% and 14% for the intermediate group. Participants were also questioned on their working life and health, and their data was linked to national registries for benefits and pension payments. They were followed up for the next four years, over which time 84 people received a new disability pension. Although the study is observation and cannot prove a casual relationship, it found that underperformance was strongly linked to heightened risks of taking a disability pension for both sexes. Male owls were three times as likely to take a disability pension as male larks, although the impact of chronotype was significantly weakened when sleep patterns and working times are taken into account. Uh, previous research has shown because of the mismatch between internal clock and society's social clock, owls struggled to fall asleep early enough to get the recommended seven to nine hours of sleep on workdays. This can mean catching up at weekends, a ph phenomenon known as social jet lag. So it's very interesting. What happens if you're part lark, part owl? If you don't really uh, go to sleep um, until late, but you get up early in the morning? I mean, that's not even really hitting the median of this study, I suppose. Because I go to bed late and I get up early. So I'm probably not getting the six or seven hours sleep. So I'm probably, um, you know, the court jester of the equation. I'm, I'm neither a lark or an owl. I, I'm probably more of a sloth at this, uh, at this stage, I would say, without getting the, those seven to nine hours sleep. Okay, so we're hitting a few food topics here. Firstly, now... I'm not a key. I'm not a big fan of the burger. I'm not a huge fan of the. I know I'm probably going to be uh, chased down the road here uh, with uh, probably some Alsatians for saying this. I think the burger is overrated, and I mean not not just not just a fast food burger. I'm talking about all, most almost all burgers. There is a restaurant in Chicago on the river that is fabulous, and they do a good burger. So we're all drunk. I would eat, always eat that burger. I think it's fine. So there's a certain huge burger um, emporium that uh, has recently come to Denver. And I, I just do not understand why people are lining up for hours on end for one of these burgers. I mean, it's a meat patty with some cheese and some bread and, and, and some French fries or freedom fries, whatever we want to call them. I mean, why would one wait so long for a common or garden burger? I mean, if it was pate foie gras or a Michelin star restaurant or, you know, the best roast duck God has to offer, 
that's different. You know, I, I might line up for that. For a Michelin star, um, you know, restaurant, you know, maybe in the Eiffel Tower, Jules Romain restaurant, or something along those lines, maybe I would line up and queue for that, without a doubt. But the, uh, the burger, I don't think so. Now, something that I would queue up for, something I would line up for, is a cheese and Branston pickle sandwich. Now, Americans look lowly down the end of their nose at this wondrous jar of brown delight that I always have in my fridge. You open it up and smell the piquancy, the vinegary smell and, and, and delightful crunch to this pickle that really makes a cheese sandwich, without a doubt. So Brandiston pickle is made from a variety of diced vegetables, including swede, rutabaga, carrots, onions, and cauliflower, pickled in a sauce made from vinegar, tomato, apple spices. Uh, the high fru fructose corn syrup isn't in there anymore. Uh, the Brandiston pickle is sweet and spicy with a chutney-like consistency containing chunks of vegetables and a thick brown sticky sauce, it's commonly served as a plowman's lunch. So that's like a cheese, bread, you know, beautiful lunch, maybe some grapes in there. It's also frequently combined with cheddar cheese sandwiches. And, and many UK shops offer cheese and pickle as an option. Now I would, I would line up for the cheese and indeed the pickle sandwich. There's a standard chunky version and a small chunk version and a smooth variety that's pureed. Oh, Give me the chunks, baby. I want it chunky. I want it spicy. I want the bite in there. Absolutely delicious. And I would make an effort, and I would indeed line up for the cheese and pickle sandwich. And I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm not going to hide that brown pickle jar behind anything else in the fridge. I want it to be on show. I want it to be almost like in Hollywood. I want it to be receiving an Oscar with a spotlight on it. This is what it deserves. Without a doubt. You know, the the uh, the, the, the the Branson pickle deserves to be showcased. Like no other pickle jar, like nothing else in the fridge. Delicious. Anyway. So there we go. So we had the burger. We had the burger rant. We had the ode to the cheese and pickle sandwich. Um, and then finally, have you ever come back? I mean, I, I know smells have a great, um, nostalgia to them. I remember smelling a former co-worker. I wasn't going around sniffing his armpits or anything, or crotch, but he had a, a smell that was very familiar. And I realized it was the smell of my grandfather, Wallace. It was his brute. And I hadn't smelt that particular smell in years. It's not just brute. It was a certain essence to it. And I remember going outside many years ago and smelling a, a, like a lavender smell that smelled like my grandmother Vera. Out of the blue, I hadn't smelled anything like it for 20 years, and then it gets under your nostrils. But have you ever been anywhere, and I'm, I'm not talking about a bathhouse or you know anything sordid, but have you ever come back smelling of something that was unusual that you were surprised about? So I was told the other day, by my dear, that... Um, a certain smell of uh, cream of celery soup 
And I said, what are you talking about? It's, it's probably more like leek and potato or something. So I had a good sniff. And to the right, it was cream of celery soup. I almost fancied getting some bread out, you know, moving it around the plate, so to speak, and uh, and, and getting a, a, the essence of celery, uh, the essence of cream of celery soup. I mean, I think it was from an acupuncture sign that some had some hippie balm, and there's a hippie balm that's cream of celery soup. I wanted to cut off a piece of Stilton, maybe a mature cheddar, and enjoy it with the essence of this creamy, delightful, normally subtle soup, but obviously it gets, gets under the nostrils. And, you know, I know you're out there saying, look, look, chappy, you, you know, you've got the nose the side of Serrano de Bergerac. You'll be able to smell anything. You, you, you could probably smell, you know, ammonia from 500 yards. Not the case. I mean, this is a very strong uh, whiff and essence of cream of celery soup. So we have another enigmatic English eccentric habit. And this is the English's response to warm weather. You'll most certainly already be familiar with our reputation for being obsessed with the weather. But our response to warm weather may surprise you and amuse you, particularly if you're from a warm country yourself. We get comparatively little uh, good weather in the UK compared to many countries. And on a rare occasion we do get a spell of sunshine, the whole country completely changes in the atmosphere. Even if the warm weather comes early in the year, when it's still a little chilly, the nation changes into shorts and flip-flops and gets the barbecue out. If you come from somewhere that enjoys rather more sunshine than we do, you'd find this national outpouring of joy in the face of sunshine rather bizarre, and it'll probably seem a bit cold for shorts and flip-flops for you. But for us, it's such a pleasant change from wind and rain that it has to be enjoyed too the full but always carry a sweat around the shoulders just in case so another little game of trumple trombone so fisher price sparks debate over the play set designed to represent a home office the product line left people divided with some critics dubbing it bleak the fisher price uh, company sparked a debate over a toy set designed to mimic a home office with some critics uh, describing it as bleak the set is designed to emulate a home office enjoying toy laptop wooden phone and headset and a plastic coffee cup um, I mean, as long as the Fisher Price Zoom background uh, provides, uh, you know, that sort of snapshot of you working that you can use as your uh, as your as your main screen whilst you're really getting 40 winks. And woman's skydiving video goes viral as she ruins it was ruined by the wind. The uh, woman's uh, video had gone viral last year, showed how her expression was affected by strong wind uh, during a descent, leaving people indeed in stitches. Uh, she pulled the ripcord a little early and shouldn't have had beans the night before. And I played cupcake roulette with my Deliveroo's uh, and my face says it all. To celebrate the eighth birthday, Deliveroo had created a game of cupcake roulette uh, featuring cakes inspired some of the most popular foods, including katsu curry and chips and gravy. I mean, the shotgun to the head would be the Marmite Spam flavour or the new Archerwell Sussex cupcake dower with sour grapes. 
And a woman on TikTok, uh, to much derision, uh, showed how she cuts an onion. Uh, many celebrated, uh, but as I said, lots were uh, deriding her technique. She says you want to take the outer layer of the onion off, then cut off one side so it can be laid flat on the chopping board, but the top should uh, still have the root attached. Then she demonstrated making incisions all the way down the onion from top to the bottom, making sure to keep a one centimeter gap from the root so that the vegetable stays in one piece. Uh, and uh, that was shown on TikTok. I mean, it brings tears to the eyes, but hopefully not the fingers. Um, but you can actually put uh, the discarded onion in a wet sock and tie it around the neck. It does help social distancing because nobody wants to get within 10 feet of you. And cat sat on 125 mile an hour train roof and delays passenger for two hours before swaggering off. The mischievous Moggy was casually curled up on top of the Avanti West uh, train in Euston Station until it was finally coaxed down from the platform. But it uh, was on top of the roof as the train was uh, travelling 125 miles an hour. Well, it beats the old line of leaves on the line or snow on the line, and the cat's definitely toying with its nine lives. But if pussy on the line is the reason for delays, train passengers and uh, customers might increase astronomically. And a woman shares game-changing ways she wears high heels to stop them squishing her toes. Uh, Veronica, the TikTok user, posts under habit-forming sty, has shared the item she wears inside the high heels to prevent the pain in her toes, as well as the ball of her foot. As it was once said, strong women wear the pain like stilettos. No matter how, however much it hurts, all you see is the beauty of it. Uh, I mean, the key is either, uh, either trim your toenails or wear Crocs. And breastfeeding Facebook group for mums shut down after pervy men joined to look at the pics. Um, I mean, maybe the milk suction cups need to be classed to these pervs' eyes, uh, making them truly leery lactose intolerant. And Popeye bodybuilder who injected fake muscles could lose use of his arms or even worse. I mean, maybe he needs to give up spinach steroids or try sea shanty Bikram yoga. Three glow-in-the-shark sharks found by scientists exploring deep oceans twilight zone. Researchers say the kite fin shark, the black and belly lantern shark and the southern lantern shark emit light as camouflage to hide from predators. These leisure lycra-wearing sharks wearing luminous bodysuits. It sounds like Sharknado on acid, ready for Shark Week. And Dr. Cher's gross dust mite warning if you're still using old pillows. Dr. Karen Raj shared a TikTok video explaining why you should be changing your bed pillow at least every two years. And some viewers wished they hadn't watched it. In Los Angeles, allegedly they're avoiding the mite problem by recycling old silicon breast implants. Motorboating mites would suffocate. Okay, another game of historical Tinder where we take a leader, monarch, uh, eccentric, anybody in the history, and um, instead of the swipe right or swipe left you get on Tinder, it's more like an axe or a guillotine or something swinging to the right or the left, an untimely death, or maybe had a, a, a predication for some, you know, slightly naughty behavior as well. Um, anyway, so this week uh, we have Greek philosopher Endopolis, who is probably best remembered for his classical theory of four elements. He was the last Greek philosopher to write his theories down in verse form. 
Legend had it that Endocles threw himself into the active volcano Mount Etna in Sicily in order to fool his followers into believing that his body had vanished and that he'd return as a god. Unfortunately for Endocles, one of his sandals survived the fury of the volcano, and it was discovered by his followers revealing their leader's deceit. So Mother Nature swiped left on Endocles, without doubt. Uh, but we don't. I don't think I've got a sound of a volcano, so this will have to do. Okay, so, disc golf, or as I like to call it, dick golf. Dick golf, or disc golf, is an inferior midget alternative to golf, the ugly stepchild to golf. These guys take over the whole park, and dog walkers, children, old age pensioners, and low flying hawks are all in danger. Can't we just arrest them for bad fashion and bro visors? It's an abomination that they use the same golfing terms you know, with these baggy old khaki shorts and uh, drunken attitude taking up the whole of our summer parks. I mean, I honestly think I'm, I'm ready to take on these guys in a civil war. It's almost like the roundheads, you know, I think it's, we could call it the croquet cavaliers. I'm going to take, take up croquet in the park. I'm going to set up the hoops in the park and I'm going to take on these guys. The croquet cavaliers challenging the uh, disc dickheads is a civil war to the end and at the end they'll be like Gulliver they'll have these uh, they'll have the, the uh, croquet hoops nail them to the ground and uh, and we'll be you know giving them a, a cheese and pickle sandwich to taste basically and maybe a croquet mallet up the bottom that would be the ultimate punishment uh, for these people who take over our parks in the name of golf they cannot call this disc golf. It's dick golf. I mean, if they had a flat cap or maybe some long socks and plus fours on, I might sort of welcome it a little bit more. But I think it's the visor and the bro look that uh, rubs me the wrong way and grabs my goose. Well, there we go, ladies and medicine cabinets. It's a wrap. That is Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese number 67. I'm on audio burst. I'm going to be featured this week. As I said yesterday, I don't know. Um, I, I think they probably uh, found a bottle on a beach with Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on it, and that's how they chose the podcast for this week. But, uh, but grab your popcorn. It's the big interview. As I said, the Queen Corgi, Queen's Corgis are being interviewed uh, this coming Sunday. So uh, tune in and uh, have some snossages and some uh, dog treats ready to go. Uh, keep calm and cauliflower cheese uh, on Instagram at keep cheese on Twitter uh, across Spotify, Apple Music, uh, and all of the main platforms. And we finish with another spring like poem. 
is by Pat Sisko. Reminiscent melodies serenade the morning breeze. Feathered creatures nest with care in cherry blossoms pink and fair. Perfume scent of roses flow. Tiny blades of green grass grow. Misty showers soak the earth. Glorious colours come to birth. Gathering clouds come and go. Rain, sun and vibrant bow. Dainty petals, fancy flare. Dancing in the warm sweet air. Violets, yellows, purest white. Graceful, gentle, welcome sight. Thank you, O oh sweet, lovely spring. Patiently waiting the charms you bring. Cheerio for now, everybody. Have a lovely week. And I'll see you again next time.